Major Lindsay in Africa presents Between the Legal Lines, a podcast focused on leading women lawyers who have pushed beyond the boundaries and found success. Welcome to Between the Legal Lines. My name is Andrea Bricka, and I am your host today. This podcast is a series of monthly interviews where we explore how women who happen to also be both executives and lawyers navigate the boundaries placed upon them due to their roles and their demographic. These women have found success despite those sometimes very narrowly drawn lines that govern what is acceptable and what is not. And each month we hear a new story from a different woman about what that's like. Joining me today is Ellen Whittemore, Executive Vice President and General Counsel of Wynn Resorts. Welcome, Ellen. Please tell us who you are and about your current role. Thank you, Andrea, for having me today. It's a pleasure to join you. Um, I am the current uh, General Counsel of Wynn Resorts, Executive Vice President and General Counsel and Secretary. In that role, I am responsible for the legal operations of Wynn Resorts, which is a preeminent uh, operator of casino resorts in Nevada, Massachusetts, and Macau. The legal department, government relations, and community relations all report to me. So I've got a broad uh, mandate within the C-suite, and uh, I've been here for about two years. Wonderful. Please tell us how you got there. Well, there was no straight line um, for me joining Wynn Resorts uh, as the general counsel. For uh, the entirety of my career, I have been in private practice as a gaming regulatory attorney. I had a short little period of time where I was the general counsel for an online gaming company, but that was just for about a year. So most of my experience has been um, in the in the private uh, practice of law. Wynn Resorts found itself in 2018 in the middle of a controversy related to its founder and former CEO, Steve Wynn, who had been accused by a number of women of uh, sexual harassment. The allegations were, were reported in the Wall Street Journal in the Uh, January of 2018, and during the course of the remainder of that winter and spring, uh, the company was faced with intensified investigations by its Nevada Gaming Regulatory Authorities and the Massachusetts Gaming Regulatory Authorities. I received a call from Matt Maddox, who had assumed the role of CEO upon Mr. Wynn's departure. Um, really out of the blue. I had met Matt one time in my life for about 20 minutes and had spoken to him probably two or three other times before. I had historically not done any of Wynn Resort's um, legal work. For most of my career, I was with a law firm that was um, representing a litigant against Win resorts, and so I've been conflicted out from representing Win on any of their gaming regulatory matters. But Matt had uh, come to the realization that he needed to have uh, an attorney with gaming regulatory experience 
um, on his team and as his general counsel and had um, heard of me and known of me. Uh, and so reached out um, and asked if I wanted to join. It was an opportunity that I knew um, I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't regret joining, but I might very well regret not joining. And when I say that, you know, I joined a company in crisis. And so some people will say, well, why did you know you wouldn't regret joining? Um, I've been doing this for a really long time. And I knew that um, it was going to be a difficult transition and it was going to be a difficult time to come in as a general counsel. But even when things aren't really great, or even if your experience isn't great, I don't ever regret those experiences because I think you learn from them. So uh, I knew that this was something that I wanted to do. I thought I could help the company. And uh, so I joined in the summer of 2018. You mentioned that you were a partner in a firm. What challenges and opportunities have you encountered moving from a role of law firm partner to general counsel of a public company? Um, the, the scope of my responsibilities here are so um, uh, expansive. Um, as I indicated, the legal department reports to me, community relations reports to me, government affairs reports to me. Of course, I'm responsible for all of our SEC filings, all of our gaming filings, which I felt very comfortable on from the gaming perspective. But coming into um, a company uh, like Wynn Resorts with you know, a very particular focus in my background and in my practice, the um, number of areas that of law that I had to become um, conversant in very quickly was um, daunting um, at first. I've, I feel much more comfortable now, um, but it was it was a daunting experience when I when I first came in. The other thing that I think was a little daunting for me is um, I had um, not really been in a role at the law firms where I was um, the leader of uh, a large group of, of people. In my practice, I always had associates and paralegals reporting to me. And so from that sense, I was a leader of that small group, but I wasn't um, interested or nor did I serve on executive committees. Um, I wasn't involved in hiring and firing decisions except to say, yes, that person seems like they would fit well in our department. So uh, making the kind of decisions that I have to make on a you know daily basis as a leader of a of a large group of diverse individuals has been um, challenging in some respects, but also um, one that I I value the what I've learned from being in that position. Has any one person been particularly helpful in your career? I always point to an individual who was my mentor, uh, a the dean of really the gaming law bar, um, Bob Fess, who is 
uh, one of the most was, he's passed away now, but was one of the most highly regarded uh, gaming law practitioners in the United States and if not the world. He took me under his wing uh, when I was a young attorney um, and was always my biggest cheerleader. I never worried about him countermandering or uh, suggesting that my advice to a client was not appropriate. In fact, um, there's one circumstance that, that I realized, and I had realized this before, but it really um, solidifies my belief that he had my back no matter what. Um, I'd given advice to a client, one of the one of the law firm's largest clients on a matter, and the chairman of the board of the client wanted um, the general counsel of the client to confirm my advice with Bob Fest. And so I called Bob and I said, "Hey, you know, client wants to get on the phone and and talk to you about the advice I'd given." And he said, okay, put him on. And I said, D okay. And so the client gets on and before the client could even, you know, the general counsel of the client could even really explain the problem, Bob just said, whatever Ellen said. And, you know, to have that kind of a support um, for the decisions and the advice you're giving uh, as, a, as a, at the time, fairly young attorney, um, was just so empowering. And then in, in my current role, I would say that this, um, the people that are the most important to me now in my role and uh, want me to be successful in that role are really the CEO and the uh, president of the company, as well as the board of directors. They, um, are very, very critical to the success of a general counsel. You have to have a good relationship with the fellow members of the executive team and with your board of directors as a general counsel. So to the extent I can put them in a group, um, the current C-suite and the board of directors are, are critical to my success as the general counsel. Um, and uh, so I appreciate all of them. What have you learned about leadership from the COVID crisis? Wow, <laughs> that's a tough question. Um, you, it, it has been um, an incredible learning experience. We were, as a company, were a little further along in our um, acknowledgement and acceptance that this uh, pandemic was going to come to the United States and was going to be very, very significant and uh, negatively affect our business operations. We're one of three U.S. companies who have casinos in Macau, and and this, that's a special administrative region of China. It's just a you know a stone's throw away from Hong Kong, and so when. Um, COVID-19 first broke out in, in, in that area, the Greater Bay Area. The Macau 
um, government responded very, very quickly, um, caused our casinos to be closed, required for a two week period of time, required all employees and all guests to wear masks immediately, required temperature checks and health, health screening. And we knew from that experience um, that, that, the, that the disease was you know, highly contagious. And so from a very early point in February, we began consulting with um, public health uh, officials from um, Georgetown and other universities to, to try to uh, anticipate what we would be facing from the public health perspective. Um, and then that drove many of our decisions um, from, a, from an operational perspective. So I think what I took away from that is that you have to be willing to listen to the experts and take advice and then make decisions that you think are going to be in the best interest of your company. And in our case, we took the advice and we saw you know, at the, by the beginning of March, that this was going to be um, a significant um, factor in our operations, um, at least in the short term. And we've now come to realize it'll be a, a, a significant factor in the in the long term. But in the short term, we we were um, some of the earliest proponents of suggesting um, to the to our regulators, and in fact. In Las Vegas, we we were really the only proponent from the casino operators initially that um, it was important that we close um, along with you know so many other businesses who were being forced to close, but that we close uh, to try to um, keep our employees and our uh, guests safe, and we were in the very fortunate position at that point to be able to pay our employees um, their full wages plus their lost tip wages during that um, two months that we were closed. And uh, making that hard decision to close, recommend closing um, in Massachusetts and, and you know, recommending, we had, we had announced we were going to close in Las Vegas before we were mandated to. Um, making that really, really tough decision, making another tough decision to um, continue to pay the employees while we were closed. And when I say tough, it was economically tough. It wasn't tough in the sense of it was absolutely the right thing to do. And so I think what we did there was show leadership um, to, to um, you know, try to uh, stem this pandemic. And then the other thing that we did is we very early, because we had this expertise that we had retained early on, we were the first to publish um, our health and safety plan for um, the roadmap to be able to reopen. And so I think what that has taught me about leadership is that you have to have the knowledge, and if you don't have the knowledge, which by the way, none of us had before this started, um, you have to acquire the knowledge to make difficult um, decisions 
that in the short term are negatively going to affect your company, but in the long term um, ensure its, its um, you know, stability. And, you know, the other thing that we did, um, we took, you know, our, our president CFO took a leadership role in, in shoring up our balance um, statements so that um, we could, you know, weather um, the pandemic. And so we, we, um, I'm very proud of the leadership that, that uh, we exhibited during the COVID-19 and yeah, we continued to feed the homeless and continued to volunteer and we, you know, donated PP&E and we really, um, really as a whole, uh, as a company as a whole, really, really exhibited leadership and I'm just one little person in that whole um, effort. So what, if anything, do you wish you were freer to say or do at work? And if that is the case, why can't you? I wish I could swear more. No, <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being facetious, but it's, it's been a, um, it's, it's been a um, interesting transition from being in a uh, position of, service, you know, outside attorneys are really their service provider to their clients, right? So you come in and you give them the best advice. And um, what I what I would really like to do is sometimes say, I don't know. Uh, and it's always good to internally tell yourself if you don't know something and find out the answer, but not necessarily be most um, encouraging uh, statement, you know, if somebody asks you a question to just say, I don't know. So uh, I've had to, uh, I wish I wish I could say I don't know more often. Uh, what I've had to do is try to anticipate every possible question that might come up in a particular conversation, every particular um, event that might come up and have an answer so that I don't have to say, I don't know. What's been stronger for you, the restraints you've placed on yourself or restrictions placed upon you by other people? I think it's probably me. Um, I'm, I'm not uh, a wallflower by any stretch of the imagination and I have um, a great level of confidence in my capabilities. So I, I haven't engaged in this self-doubt that some people find themselves, um, you know, engaging in. But what I think that I've done is I have over, um, that, that there's certain traits that I have that I probably have put to my own detriment. And let me give you an example of that. I am really, really, really loyal. Uh, so while I had a number of opportunities earlier in my career to join other law firms or go in-house or do a number of things, as it related to other law firms, I never seriously considered other opportunities because I was loyal 
you know, to the people who had brought me into the, you know, into the, into the law firm and had really mentored me. And I think that in hindsight, as I look back, I think probably that loyalty was probably just my perception. And if I had um, ever sat down and talked to, you know, particularly Bob Fess, who was my mentor at the firm and said, you know, I have this opportunity. I think while he likely would have been very disappointed if I left, he also would have been encouraging me to go, you know, take the next step. So I think that's, that's probably what I put on myself um, as far as a restriction. And I think when it became apparent you know, after I'd been with the my law firm for almost 25 years, that I needed to do something different. Um, I, you know, and the loyalty factor was not there anymore. Um, Bob was retiring, and I didn't feel like I needed to to um, stay at the firm. Um, leaving, and I opened my own practice for several years. Leaving um, was freeing in the sense that while I felt bad I was leaving and leaving a lot of good friends, I realized it was what I needed to do for myself. And it was also freeing in the sense that there was, when I say I was self-confident and didn't really, you know, worry about it, there was always that little, you know, voice in the back of your head saying, they're your client because you're at this firm. They're not your client because they think you're great. You know, they're they're the firm's client, not really yours. Um, so there was a little voice that would tell me that. And then, of course, when I left and um, every client that I wanted to take with me went with me, that was particularly freeing for me. Data continues to show a gender pay gap for most legal roles and particularly the GC role. Do you have any thoughts on how we can close the gap going forward and how we get more women into the GC seat? I think um, the idea that what you're going to have to do to close that gap is um, you're going to have to really um, do your homework and show that there's a gap and you're going to have to show that there's a gap between industries. And so one of the things that, you know, depending on where you are in, in the corporate organization, so I'm one of the named executive officers. General counsels aren't always one of the named executive officers, so their, um, their compensation level is not public. But one of the things that, you know, women in any GC should do is do their own research and see if they are, in fact, um, compensated less for their industry. And you have to understand what your comp committees, you know, in a publicly traded company, you have to understand what your comp committee's um, theory of compensation is. Are they comfortable having your named executive officers, you know, in the 75th median, or do they want to be at the 50%? Or are they comfortable having you very, very highly paid? And so you have to, you have to understand the compensation criteria that's established by the Board of Directors Compensation Committee, and then you have to compare yourself to um, other industries. I will say this, I, um, I don't think women spend enough money on their own career um, 
in order to ensure that they're being paid as well as men um, in the same in the same position. And by that I say, sometimes when you're given an opportunity that just sounds fabulous for you, you're so excited that you have that opportunity that you don't sit back and value, you know, and value yourself and what you bring to it. So, you know, it, in my case, it was done fairly quickly. I did some back of the envelope, you know, hey, this is how much I should be paid. This is what I would be making in the law firm, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think I would have been well served by actually having hired a compensation consultant to, to do the, hey, this is what people in your industry make. Here's the medium. Here's the, you know, 75th percentile. This is what you should be asking for. And I think a lot of times women are just so glad that they have a seat at the table. And I know it's true for me. You know, you're so glad that you have a seat at the table that you really don't, um, you know, make sure that you are uh, valued appropriately. Now, I, I think I am valued appropriately, but I, I didn't do any work on it. And I, I think I should have. Beyond the compensation, what advice would you offer to other ambitious women about workplace behavior? I'm, um, I have it pretty easy when it comes to what is appropriate workplace behavior in the sense that we're a very, very um, small corporate organization. There are three named executive officers. I'm one of them. There's a, um, you know, in, in the executive offices, there are four of us. Um, so on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm working with the people that I, you know, that that I have to meet with on a on an everyday basis. But I do think that there are certain behaviors that I don't think serve, frankly, this is women or men. Um, you know, I, I think that they don't serve them well. I think my biggest, uh, my observation of the biggest mistake people make is to not acknowledge when they make a mistake. And I think sometimes all of us are trying to do our best and sometimes we make mistakes. And I think it's critically important for people to say, wow, I blew that, I'm sorry, or, you know, if somebody's yelling at you for making a mistake, let them yell. Don't fight back. Even and and by the way, sometimes this advice is true, whether you um, actually made the mistake or somebody thinks you made the mistake. Often good just to sit back and wait and think about what the approach is. But um, if you've made the mistake it's critically important that you accept it and not blame it on other people. And I see time and time again that um, people always have an excuse. And what I say to people who report to me is, I, I don't get angry. So why do you have to have an excuse for the mistake you made? Just don't do it again. And that, I think, you know, it is one of the things that annoys me. And by the way, it annoys me about both men and women. So um, I think that's the advice I would give people. Acknowledge when you make mistakes and just promise to do better the next time. 
Ellen, thank you so much. This has been Between the Legal Lines. You have just heard from Ellen Whittemore, Executive Vice President, General Counsel, and Secretary at Wynn Resorts. I am Andrea Bricka from Major Lindsay in Africa. Thank you for listening. Join us next month for a new story from another woman successfully operating between the legal lines. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact me at abricka at mlaglobal.com. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.